Mike Kiss Army. Welcome to the Kiss FAQ Podcast. Thank you for giving us your time today. Nothing is into your head. I hope you don't do any damage. This is a Kiss-related podcast by the board for the board. We hope that you enjoy. Welcome to the Kiss FAQ Podcast. I'm one of your hosts who's in command today, Julian Gill, admin on the Kiss FAQ message board. And I am joined by... St. Louis Kiss, Lonnie, Bagboy, Alex, and Marcus Almighty, Mark, gentlemen, we put the band back together again, always good to see you on a Thursday, it's just like going down to the pub and buying a Diet Coke, um, and hanging out with some Kiss buddies and just talking about Kiss, let's do some of the obvious news straight at the top, Gene Simmons and Ace Frehley last night, who's been on YouTube watching that stuff today, he did three songs with uh, Gene, uh, Shock Me Cold Gin and was it Parasite as well? Um, yeah. Just from from my sp- uh, perspective, fantastic to see Ace with Gene unmasked. Um, very, very cool. What were your guys' thought, thoughts on that? Alex, you look all keen and giddy. And... <laughs> I thought it was cool. I really like the way they did Parasite with Gene doing the first verse and Ace doing the second. I that was really cool. Same shock me, you know. Um, it, you know, it was really cool to to see them do shock me. I think uh, Gene's. I mean, obviously Gene's put together a well, um, a well tight band uh, with the Gene Simmons band. So I think they did a, a great, great job. All right, we're gonna try and add in. Hello, again, Hello, everyone. Uh, Hello, everybody. The voice, the voice of reasons, able to join us. So we're going to try and do five people on this podcast today. You, you know, I was just saying, I think you know, Gene Simmons has got a has got a real put band together, and and I think they did a great job. I think Ace played better. I mean, obviously, uh, videos we weren't there in person, but I think uh, I think it was great, and I'd like to, you know, hopefully see some more guest appearances. That kind of a thing. Yeah, awesome, Mark. What was your take on it? Oh shit, is it going to be one of those shows? I'm still here, I mean... (laughs) Holy shit, that's like... Hold on a second. What's going on? Uh Uh-oh, Julian is... Julian's gone. He left left. the building. I guess this is when Julian quit the podcast. I'm just kidding. So Mark, what did you think of the show? <laughs> well, I thought I thought it was I thought it was really good. I I thought you know just uh, Ace Ace seemed a little you know shaky in little spots, but I, I overall I thought he I thought it was a really really good show. I thought it was well done, and I think it was kind of worth the worth the hype. And I I think that I, they did well, all things considered. Better quality than I think this show might end up being uh, with the internet lagging as it is. And no one's doing anything here, so I've got my full bandwidth. I just checked that. Uh, Lonnie, thoughts? Julian was up checking checking Netflix to make sure it wasn't streaming. (laughs) No, usually in the back room there at South Park. Um. (laughs) Um, I, I I was monitoring it very closely last night as... Everything was going down. Um, 
you know, it, it's exciting. Um, one of the more exciting events that's really happened um, in the Kiss world in the last several years. I mean, Ace Frehley and Gene Simmons playing together on stage for the first time in 16 years. I mean, that's that's historic. It really is. I'm, I'm not saying it's leading any, anything, that it's a precursor for anything, but it's it's really freaking cool to have those two on stage together performing, apparently getting along enough to perform. I mean, we hope at least getting along enough. Um, I think it's, I think it's great. I think it's great for Gene. It's great exposure for Gene and his solo band and what Gene's doing with his box set. I think it's great for Ace. Um, I, I, I'd like to see more of it. I'd like to see, I'm not saying let's get Ace back in the band. We're not going to, this isn't going to be a show about that, but I'd like to see more of Gene and, and Ace performing, more of Paul and Ace performing like they did on Ace's um, Ace's cover album. I uh, Ace's Twitter did uh, stir the pot a little bit last night. I don't know if you guys saw that or not. Yeah. But Ace's Twitter let out a, a tweet saying, sign, sign, everywhere a sign, as things were going on. You know, I, I think just to just to just to stir it up a little bit, but it's it's fun and it's and it's, and it's great. It's great for Kiss. It's great for Gene. It's great for Ace. It's great for everyone involved. So I'd like to see more of it. Yep, and that is not a Tesla song. Ken probably knows who the Correct. original act is, but uh, I only know the Tesla version. I can't remember who who they covered on that. Five men, five men, acoustical five men jam, electrical band, acoustical jam. That's the name of, but that's the name of the group though, the Five Man Electrical Band. Was it? Oh, was it? Okay, that's another band. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Off yeah. the Five Man Acoustical Jam Tesla album. There you go. So, whatever. Yeah. All right, so Ken, did I? I can't remember now where the hell I was in this. Uh, so, had you uh, given your input on the Gene yeah. Simmons stuff? You had, okay. Yeah. It was, All right. Okay. It was okay. No, I haven't, but. Uh... <laughs> well, do. <laughs> no, well, the the Ace thing with Gene. I mean, the more the more people uh, or Kiss former Kiss members you can get on stage at one time, the better. Um, it's great seeing them on stage together. You know. Uh, for the first time since I guess it was what 2001 or whenever it is uh, when Tommy took over. So um, yeah, it was cool. I watched the videos and sounded great, and it's it's just a cool thing to see when you get those original members on stage together. Um, I know we were, you know, it's kind of one half of Kiss, right? Uh, it's kind of like Gene and Paul is one half of Kiss. <laughs> So there should have been a kiss. Uh, are, are you saying that there should have been a kiss logo there behind them last night and a little bit of pyro and makeup <laughs> and they could have dressed up a couple of guys in uh, well, in the band as see, uh, yeah, Tom people could say no. What is this? Yes. People could say no. Right? Uh, Gene no, Simmons can't, can't do that. That's where that's the other argument. And how can you call Gene and Paul kiss when the other two original aren't there? So you get that argument. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, very very fun. I think that's the key thing that uh, 2017 has turned out to be an amazing year in terms of everything that's occurring. Peter Chris solo performances, expo appearances, Ace on the road. Ace looked good as well. 
And to me, he looked a little bit like Mick Mars circa 1970 with his hair kind of really kind of flat. He, he looked at they they did a pre-show meet and greet with guys from Cheap Trick and uh, what was it, Don Felder. Um, you know, so very fun. Let's move on to other stuff. Obviously, yesterday, if you were following anything, you might have seen we put an ad in the Village Voice. This is Robert Conte and myself celebrating Kiss's history with that newspaper the ad that they placed looking for a guitarist in 1972 so final print edition of the village voice came out and uh, it's just a little a little homage to the band and to the village voice all the ads that they ran in 1973 we did a little collage of those up in the top there i wrote a silly little blurb what did i say uh the relationship between the village voice and kiss dates back just a weeks before the band's debut at the coventry blah 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 find a copy of it if you really want to read my sentence um but it's just a salute to kiss new york city and the village voice which is going digital only so uh people are already selling this free newspaper on ebay for 25 freaking bucks a pop i've got a few, uh, few copies coming what? in uh but it's sick the amount people are already charging so if you can find a fan in New York City work out a deal with them and do not pay anyone $25 for a copy of a free newspaper. Um, There's going to be some way you can monetize this, Julian. No, it was... No. Uh, I've got got a couple of copies. (laughs) You know, i got to give a shout-out to Jonathan. He plays uh, Paul Stanley, the local Destroyer tribute band. He let me scan... uh, He had original ads for a couple of these shows, and he let me scan those and more Mm. of the stuff. I actually posted a picture of me holding up uh, one of the diplomat... Uh, ads yeah. from the paper and it was like a holy shit moment actually like, oh, I'm holding yeah, this cool. you know from the real paper <laughs> and he had some other really neat stuff as well so Jonathan thank you so much when I do, do get a copy of the voice he's going to get one obviously for helping out um, make that make that ad uh, collage a, a cool thing let's talk about what we're here to talk about today which is the anniversary make sure I hold this up the right way crazy nights and 30th anniversary of an album that i never thought that i would be interested in celebrating its 30th anniversary of let alone its fifth seventh 19th or whatever um we're going to talk initially about our first listens to the album how we reacted to it and since i'm already monologuing i'm just going to continue on with uh i picked this album up at music city in binghamton i think it was day of release in 1987 it was my first brand new kiss album i ever listened to as a kiss fan after getting into them during asylum and i had a little red walkman with me i think i took the bus down there and i put in the cassette tape and crazy night starts and my jaw just dropped the sound the style of the album the everything about it was just not what i was expecting um and it didn't get much better for me for much of the album so i was not a fan of crazy nights at all um probably for a good few years I listened to it. There's a couple of songs on it, which we'll talk about that I do like, but my initial impression of the album was not good. Ken, what about you? Well, when I first, uh, I think I first heard Crazy Nights, the single, um, or saw the video. That was one of the first things I saw. I remember buying the the single. I had the single uh, so before the album came out. And uh, I thought, man, I thought this is, 
this is a pretty freaking good song. I thought, you know, this is ought to be a hit. I mean, just listening to it on my first listen, I thought this got to be a hit for them. Um, but it it wasn't a hit, and yeah, well, that's another story. Um, <laughs> but uh, I thought it was going to be a hit. Uh, it obviously wasn't a hit here in you know the states, um, but it did well in uh, you know England. Um, which, which they say they're not prejudiced to uh, you know, music changes of bands and things. They don't, you know, uh, you know, I, that's whatever it is. <laughs> anyway, um, so I got the album finally. Uh, uh, I wasn't too shocked about it because the music of the time was similar to that going on the bon jovi thing the heart thing uh lover boy babies mm-hmm. all those kinds of bands which is what you know ron nevison produced all those bands and uh so i wasn't too surprised about it i'm not too surprised kiss took a left turn because they've done it before in the past with you know dynasty and unmasked and and the elder for instance so those were left turns, and I thought, well, they're trying to get a hit. Obviously, they're trying to, and everyone says, follow the trend, um, and they they tried. Um, just one other thing about it is, I was just reading, you know, Rod Nevison said he would have uh, maybe toned back after listening to it, toned back the synthesizers and not made it so polished as he did. Well, he should have got it right the first time in my opinion, but I liked it at first. That's all I can say now. Right now, I, when I first listened to it, I thought it was pretty darn good. Um, I, but I was surprised about Gene Simmons. His vocals were the the kind of solo album vocals or whatever you want to call it. Um, so I don't know whose idea that was. But I liked it at first. Uh, a good, you know, pretty good. Alex, how old were you in 1987? <laughs> um, let's see. I wasn't a fetus. Yet. He's a fetus. <laughs> I not, wasn't even not, not even that. Well, I didn't even have thought. No, just a twinkle <laughs> in my daddy's eye. So what did you think of the album the first time you heard it, and when did you first hear it? You know, I, I mentioned before I had that bootleg like mixtape that my dad had got from like um, the Philippines back in the day. And um, so I don't know what songs, some of the al- songs came off, albums they came off of, but... I know it had like at least six Crazy Night songs. It was like Crazy Nights, Turn On The Night, My Way, Bang Bang You, um, I'll Fight Hell To Hold You, and and My Way. Uh, so I remember hearing those songs, and I, I liked them. I thought they were pretty cool. I did think they sounded much different um, than you know the other stuff on it. But I do remember finally picking up the CD copy of Crazy Nights when I was in high school, uh, senior year. So that was uh, for the 20th anniversary of Crazy Nights then. It was 2007. Uh-huh. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I liked it a lot. I liked it a lot when I heard it. Um, I, I wasn't crazy for some of the Gene tracks. But, you know, I, I think knowing it was from the 80s, you know, it, and, you know, getting it 20 years later, you know, it was able to put into perspective and context of, of what it sounded like, you know. So I imagine my, my introduction is probably a little bit different than those who grew up, like Mark, loving the Bob Ezrin albums and so forth. 
There we, there we go. Someone so just had to, you have to, you have to bring that up, didn't so you? Gonna look just back. had to remind everyone. Lonnie, how about you? Uh, <laughs> it's interesting because I was, I figured I was eight years old when Crazy Nights came out. And, you know, I'm not really up to date on everything that's, that's happening, you know, when you're, when you're that age. You, you, just know, you just know you like Kiss when, when I'm that young. You know, I know my brother has a couple of tapes and I have a tape. And that's really about it. But our neighbor down the street got a copy of it. And he invited us over. And I, and I don't think he got it like the day it came out or something. But I remember it might have been late 80, 87, maybe early 88 or something. I don't know. He got a copy of it. And we went over to we went over to his house and listened to it, and it you know it it was fun it was good and we did what every other kid did in that in that time frame, is well we didn't have it but he had it so we brought over a blank tape and he copied it for us, you know and we went home no we got we got this, and it was okay I was it was okay and I don't really don't remember a whole lot about it at at that age. But um, I, I guess I bought my own copy of it a few years later. I didn't go out and buy my own copy of it right away because I have no, have no source of income, obviously, <laughs> at that age. And if I want something, my mom and dad said, well, put it on your Christmas list or put it on your birthday list and we'll see what happens type thing. So I do remember getting it, I guess, when you, know, you start to make your own money cutting grass, whatever, when I'm 12 or 13. I finally got it on my own physical copy of it. And... By that time, it had waned a little bit. You know, it was it was already dated a little bit by that point, by the time 91, 92 rolls around. But my early impressions of it were, were still good because it was competitive, like Ken said, with what was popular at the time. You know, Poison was big. You know, the eight, you know, Bon Jovi was big. It, sound, it was very competitive with what was popular. So at, at the, at the, in the moment, the first time I heard it as a young tyke, it was fine, and it was good. Yeah, and uh, Mark, just before I get you, I'd like to apologize to everyone for the quality of this show up to this point uh, with any network lagging. I forgot to turn off my fucking Dropbox, and somehow it wants to get, sync up about eight gigs of stuff right now. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> smart one, Mr. Gill. So, uh, um, Mark, you know, uh, yes. what was your first encounter with Crazy Nights? And was it under duress, or did you leap willingly into the store and, and say, I want that album with the guy with the blue thong on the back cover? Yes. Um, <laughs> the, funny, the funny thing is, I, I really didn't like this record when I first like heard anything from it, because for, for the first while, my introduction to it was actually the video to Reason to Live. And I was like, mm. ugh. When I, when I first saw that, I was like, what the heck is this? Because before, you know, I was into a lot of the older stuff that was what i was introduced to and then then i got into asylum pretty heavily which i really liked and what actually made me want to go check it out was i was really really into ultimate sin right Mm. so Mm. and i thought that that was a wicked record and later on i found out that the same guy who did ultimate sin had done crazy nights i was like okay you know what i'm gonna go and grab it and check it out and much to my disappointment, it didn't sound anything remotely as good as The Ultimate Sin to me, right? Because I was right into the whole Jakey e. Lee, and I loved his mm-hmm. guitar playing and stuff like that. But I'll have to say, though, Crazy Nights as a record, 
has substantially grown for me grown for me over the last couple of like like five years or so um it's a record that i identify with one place on this planet and that's california every time i've been there it, it just seems like crazy nights is a perfect soundtrack for you know cruising around somewhere in california whether it's los angeles or whatever i just find that album really reminds me of that place like dynasty reminds me of new york city Crazy Nights reminds me of California, specifically of that kind of area. When someone I was going to, to those NAMM conventions and I'd go get my rental car, I'd always bring Crazy Nights because it was just something that just connected with me in that area. Yeah, one thing I, I want to get out of the way immediately, and you, it's already been touched on, is that Crazy Nights was a hit in England. Reason to Live was a hit in England. Uh, Turn on the Night... I, did it go top 40? It was near to top 40 in England. So Crazy Crazy Nights hit. It, all of them did well there. I was out in England in both 87 and 88. And all I remember, you know, Liverpool, Penny Lane Records, freaking picture disc displays up behind the counter. And I didn't have enough money because I was buying Quiet Riot bootlegs and shit like that and Wasp and all, all that stuff when I was out there. Um you know, so there was just Kiss 12-inch singles. Kiss single, the first Kiss single I ever bought was Kiss's "Reason to Live" from England. Uh, it was the first, I think, it was the first uh, Kiss single released in in that country in that format. So it was massive in England, um, just inexplicable. It was on um, what was it? The, I think one of the first performances was a video of Crazy Crazy Nights on the American version of Top of the Pops. So hmm. and, and again, it. It, as an English guy, or, you know, I'm, I'll always be English, even though I haven't lived there in many years, it's kind of one of those weird things that, for my home country, this is the most popular Kiss album. Um, it's almost a badge of shame in some ways, but also a badge of awesome. Finally, they did something in Britain that made now th the Now album at the end of the year. All the, the big hits get compiled onto one compilation at the end of the year, and you know, it, it, it's something to be proud of to a certain extent that in 1987, that Crazy Crazy Nights finally, you know, did something. But it had been building in England for years beforehand. I want to run through the tracks. I don't want to do a long, what are your favorites? Just get some quick thoughts on each of the tracks since there's five of us so we can kind of power through these. Um, yep. Crazy Crazy Nights. Alex, start with you. You know, just word association, instant thoughts. Alex? Hello. Hello. It's frozen. Mayday, mayday. All right. I'm in, Alex. <laughs> Alex, we'll, we'll get back to you in a minute. Lonnie, let's go with you. Um, crazy, crazy nice. The first thing I think of um, is the first time I heard it live when they played it back in 2010. When they came back and did that, that shed tour in the summer. And it sounded great, I thought. I thought they did. I thought the current version of the band did a great job with that song live. And it's the only time I've ever heard the song live, obviously. And I, that's what I think about actually the first time when I ever hear it. And it's actually become a live version of that. It's actually become my go-to version of that because it's not so saturated with keyboards like it is on the album version. It's a fun song though. And when you, when you are, I guess eight years old when I first heard it, or even when I was 12 years old, when I went out and, and bought it, it's still a fun song, even though it's it's very dated with with how it's produced. 
Um, I wish that a, I mean, and I, when we've, and I've heard, you know, other stuff that sounds better than what ended up on the, the, um, on the album, but I wish that a more raw version of that maybe would have been put on like the box set back in 01 to really give us a taste of what some of these songs could have sounded like. And I think crazy nights is one of the songs that really suffered from product from the saturated production on this album. Yeah, I think as all fans can hope that one day that they put the demo that we've heard so much about so that we can all finally hear it, it would be wonderful. Ken, Crazy Crazy Nights. Well, yeah, I talked a little bit about it at first um, when we talked about, you know, the first buying it. But, yeah, I thought that song was a good song. And, again, I, I thought it was going to be a hit. I thought it was going to be a hit here. So, um I enjoyed it. Um, what's funny is uh, I did listen to the the whole album on vinyl yesterday, um, and you know I enjoyed it more than what I remember. And maybe it's because the CD sounds like crap, in my opinion. Uh, the vinyl sounds better. Um, uh, I guess it's warmer, you know. Um, but it just sounded better to me. And and I had myself kind of today. Uh, I hear I hear songs from the album. Uh, uh, you know, going through my head, uh, certain songs off of the album. It's like it's surprising to me. Um, so I enjoyed it more than I thought I would because it kind of fell, fell off for me um, over the years. And now I think uh, maybe I'm a little bit too hard on that, uh, you know, just that album. So, but Crazy Nights, again, it's, a, it's just a great song. Yeah, I'm going to have to get, play that vinyl that I had out. Mark, Crazy Crazy Nights. Yeah, I'm. I've really grown to like that song a lot more, obviously, than before. Um, I think it's a good opener. I think it really sends out the, you know, the mission statement of the whole album, what to expect from that moment on. Um, again, just like everybody else said, you know, if there was a little less keyboards on it, it would definitely be a lot more, you know, attractive a song for everybody, I'm sure. Um, but. And, I, and the one thing I have to agree with Lonnie about is that I think that this is definitely a song that's better in a live capacity than it is on album any day of the week. I mean, it just definitely has more balls to it and shows what it could could have been, you know, in that uh, element. So I, I, I like Crazy Nights. I think that it's a song that got the short end of the shaft as far as the recorded version of it. Yeah, at the beginning of the show, I, I kind of said, you know, that I this song nearly made me not a Kiss fan back in 1987. This year, when I was in Reno, um, I was thrilled to hear it live. It, it was really, again, like Lonnie said, a high point of the set that finally getting to hear a song that I never got to hear live in concert because of being in the wrong place at the wrong time was a fantastic experience. You know, it has grown on me. I've been watching a lot of Crazy Nights bootlegs and listening to them, uh, particularly Tokyo, uh, which you yeah. know is up on YouTube and is just very, I, I find it very listenable. And I'm actually enjoying the song more. Maybe it's now because, you know, when I interviewed Bruce the other day, I, I, I did ask him, did you ever think it was going to be a classic with how it was kind of received in the United States? It was only popular in one country, but now it's considered in the Kiss canon a classic which is somewhat weird to consider, but there you go. <laughs> and my taste towards that song have changed. Next song on the album, um, I'll Fight Hell to Hold You. And Ken, let's go to you on that. Well, that one, um, this is one of those where 
we were Paul Stanley, you know, was just singing so darn high. Um, and uh, I was reading from the, you know, behind the mask or whatever the book, the, the book, and he's saying that, you know, he probably shouldn't have done so much of that high pitch singing back then. Uh, but he thought, well, it was kind of a challenge for him, so he, he kind of went that direction. But uh, the song uh, is good song, not one of my favorites on the album. Um, but, you know, it falls in right with all the other stuff, like, like we talked about, the Bon Jovi and the Poison and stuff like that. Um, so it's a good song, not my favorite, though. That's a great segue just into a brief multimedia interlude. And... Um B5 Eric on the board did share a version of I'll Fight Hell to Hold You tuned a half step down. Now, it's mm. obviously not exactly what it would sound like if it had been recorded tuned a half step down by tinkering sure. with it. Uh, but it, it actually sounds pretty in. Interesting. All right, so it comes across as more as just a powerful kind of rock song without yeah, Paul yeah. going far too stratospheric. Um, Mark, I'll fight hell to hold you. Um, th- this is a, a song that I actually kind of like, to be honest with you. I, the high singing doesn't really bother me, to be honest with you. But I, I'll tell you one thing that I kind of realized about this record. You have your Creatures of the Night, where you kind of listen to it and say, you know, that's Eric Carr's kind of record where he stands out and shines a lot. Then you have other records where you think Gene stands out really strongly and stuff like that. I think that this record is a really good standout record for Paul vocally. I think it would be wise to listen to what a vocalist can do when you, when you don't have Pro Tools, you know, at your your beck and call and listen to what kind of vocals this guy recorded you know at this time i think that this is his vocal album you know this is the one where i think that he he could pat himself on the back and say what a what a great job he did and i mean i just listened recently to that interview that carl did with him talking about his vocals and it's he's he said the same thing he was going for broke he was at his vocal kind of peak at that time and he knew it so he was able to go for these little extra high parts and he knew he could do it so it was almost like he was flexing his muscles vocally so i kind of was i'm I'm impressed with that i mean it's like when a guitar player shows off his licks and he's really good and he's at that zone where he knows that he can pretty much play anything i think paul was there vocally yeah good good points lonnie Mm -hmm. um i like i'll fight hell to hold you i thought when um, I remember listening to the album and being surprised that it wasn't a single. I thought it, it had um, single quality to it. I thought, you know, why not? I, I think it's a it's a catchy tune and, and it's kind of fun. And Paul is Paul is really singing his ass off on the song. So I'm a, I I like the song and I'm surprised it's not. But you know, to, I kind of echo what you guys are saying. Yeah, it's 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 Paul really, like Mark said, flexing his muscles mo- vocally on the track, and I like it. I I have no, really no issues with it. 
All right, so I'm going to go there because obviously I did this at the Nashville Kiss Convention. I did play Rod Gonzalez, um, the disco version. That went on way too long, by the way. I was I, I did I did play the nine minute extended version as well. So my, my wife eventually started singing along, and she looks at me. She's, Why do I know this song? God, I hate you. She goes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so 1999, D-Arts' as Rod Gonzalez covered this song. I actually had that tribute album, Kiss in Deutschland, um, back then. I never noticed it. So that shows how much attention I actually play to the tribute albums when I play them. Um, but someone recently posted the video on on the board, and I checked it out, and it absolutely grabbed me. All of a sudden, I'm like, I like this. This is a good song. And then I realized, wait, you like this this way doesn't that mean that kiss's version is a good song because a good song is a good song is a good song and when someone reinterprets it in in a completely different style or genre if it carries across successfully to your taste then i went back and listened to the original and i'm like oh yeah i do i think it's a very well crafted song i didn't give it a fair shake i will tell you when i was interviewing adam mitchell for uh, the danger zone i sent him the link to that and he just was why uh, it, you know weird wacky <laughs> in a sick kind of way it works and uh you know bruce has heard it as well so you know fun song let's move on um alex thank you for rebooting it doesn't seem to be working so we will catch up with you bang bang, bang. you yes um uh, yes mark well this is a song that no matter if they play it live or if it's on record, I really can't stand this song. Um, it, to me, just represents everything that was wrong with this kind of style of music at that time. Uh, just just terrible. Just cliche, up and down, top to bottom. Uh, I, I never liked it. and liked it even less live when I saw clips of it with the whole bang, 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 bang. It's like, please, <laughs> come on. You know, it was just terrible. So, you know, I, I mean, I don't even think, you know, any kind of remixing would help this song at all. I mean, it, it's just, I just don't think it's a very strong song. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, rewrite, re-record, remix, remaster, re-everything. Erase. Yes. Erase. There's R-E in Erase. Okay, uh, Lonnie. Um, to echo what Julian said about the last song, a bad song is a bad song is a bad song. <laughs> and you can't polish a turd. And it just is all the way around. It's a little embarrassing, you know, to the, the, the try to um, very noticeably squeeze Love Gun into the lyrics. Yeah. You know, you're trying too hard. It's like a guy who's who's trying to joke around, you know, who's, who's it, it's just who's trying too hard. You're trying too hard to, to fit in cliches. And, you know, it really, it, it really should be like a Gene song. It's so full of cliches. And that's the way Gene really writes. It's actually surprising that a song that's so full of nonsense is actually a Paul Stanley song. Usually it's, obviously, it's the other way around. So to echo what you said, no, I, I don't have anything good to say about it because... It's just poor, and it's it, it, it shouldn't Sucks. be on it shouldn't be on this Kiss album or any Kiss album because it's a crappy song. 
Yep, right down there with uh, Read My Body. Since uh, you've deemed to join us, Alex, we're going through the songs, just uh, quick fire. Your thoughts on them were on Bang Bang You. What do you think? Terrible song. <laughs> the hot take. <laughs> All right, well, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next episode. <laughs> you know, I will say um, one of the live versions from like the Spectrum that was on Kissology, I think that made it slightly enjoyable just because it was something oh. different to see live. <laughs> Mark says no. Mark disagrees <laughs> with you. Mark, so why don't you read us the ride act on Bang Bang You? Ugh. Well, I, I just told you what I thought of it. I thought it was complete crap. And like I said, th- that live version of it is just horrendous. I, I was just saying before you came back on, Alex, that that whole bang, 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 bang thing he does at the end. It just I wanted to throw something on my television. It's gone. You can't like, honestly boom, think boom, that boom. that's much, much better. <laughs> you know. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> exactly all right the yeah this song is okay lonnie took the words out of my mouth because i was ready to say it that (laughs) come on gene is not the only one that writes cheesy songs paul does it too sometimes and 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 here's a, a you know one one of his so uh yeah it's 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 a stretch. He's trying to go for too much, you know, working, you know, trying too hard and, and failing basically. So, uh, I, you know, it's okay. It's not a, it's not very good. It's probably, it could be my least favorite. Um, one of my least favorite on the album. Yep. And I'll echo the negativity across the board. Even 15 year old me did a double take when it came up. I'll shoot you down with my love gun, baby. I was just like, what the fuck is up with that? <laughs> I mean that is just too that is just too damn desperate. Um, did not like it then. I'm not a big fan of it now. I find it a little bit more tolerable. Thirty years on, maybe I'm a little numbed to it. Um, whereas, you know, it pops up a lot in concerts that I listen to. So, read my body doesn't. So it's, you only have that one studio track to go back to and continue to hate in that case. Um, no, no, no. Again, I did not like that back in the day either. It's only since listening to and watching all these bootlegs where you see the kind of the drum solo and then the jam and then uh, the Bruce doing an extended version of the intro into the song and letting him fly that I really appreciate it more musically now of Kiss trying to be kind of that speed metal band in their own Kiss style. Um, you know whether or not it's successful i think musically it's a a very enjoyable song to watch being performed you know particularly eric and bruce rather than anything to do with gene singing and lyrically going on mark i'll go straight back to you on there for your opinion yeah i mean once once again this is one of these things where i heard it on the album and was kind of you know a little surprised to hear a little bit of a guitar solo thing there at the top but when I saw the live footage of it, that's where it kind of, you know, kind of grew in stature for me because, you know, being a guitar player, you can't help but be kind of, you know, impressed by those kind of things. I, I mean, I really think Bruce Kulick is a fantastic guitar player. He's always been my favorite member of Kiss. So I've always, you know, had a soft spot for that song because of that. I thought that he, it was, he was a really uh, strong performer in that song. And like you said, the weakest part of that song, I think, is Gene singing. And 
you know, if you would, if that would have been more an instrumental, even it would have probably been more enjoyable than anything to do with it, with Gene singing in it. I just, I think the the main strength of that song is the guitar playing and Eric's drumming on that. So that's how I kind of view it. Yeah, and that's what Bruce told me in the interview again. Eric's double bass and Eddie Van Halen, you know, style guitar, you know, just comes together in Kiss. Ken. Yeah, when I first uh, heard it, you know, I didn't. I thought it was, it was kind of cool, um, <clears throat> and then I didn't care for it for a while. And then I heard it yesterday. And I thought, it's, you know, it's, it's not bad. It's pretty good. Um, though I think they should have put this song at the. I would have put it at the end of the album. I put would have put made it the last song, um, not because it's bad. Because I think it's because it's different. It kind of sticks out to me like a sore thumb on, on the album. Doesn't really match anything else on the album. Um, although you know, I, I do love yeah Bruce's guitar playing. It's just fantastic, and you know, Eric Carr and all. Um, like Mark said, he was saying you know, he didn't like Gene singing. Well, I think they probably should have just put it on the end and made it an instrumental instead. And that, that would have been probably a great little, you know, ripping tune at the end to go out on. So that's what I would have done. But it's still, you know, I'm okay with it. It's pretty good. And stunningly, it was the B-side to the Crazy Night single. So, uh, Alex, no, no, no. <laughs> there you go. Is it a yes, a maybe, or a no? It's a pause. It's a frozen. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> no. You know, the intro is cool. Uh, and I was actually just watching the Budokan show before we did this podcast, and, and Bruce's stuff was great at the beginning. But uh, after that little intro, it's just no, no, no. Not not doing it for me. No. I, I think, like, yeah, maybe at the end of the album, um, kind of reminds me of like Boomerang at the end of Pot in the Shade, just kind of like out there, left field. Yeah. Or as Anthrax would have said in 1987, not, 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 right? Lonnie. <laughs> um, I agree with, with what uh, Ken and Mark were saying, that it really showcases the talents of Bruce and Eric in the band at the time. And Gene's lyrics kind of kind of ruined the song for me, actually. So I hadn't thought about the song being an instrumental, but that's a that's a unique idea. It's it it shows off how talented Bruce and Eric were and how lucky Gene and Paul were to have them carry them through the '80s, especially with what they brought in that time frame with how Eddie Van Halen guitarist type playing was very popular and Bruce could really showcase his talents if put on the spot. But the song itself, I could really take it or leave it, but I do appreciate the talents of eric and bruce being shown off and not being just a gene and paul show for say yeah that, that's a really good point about instrumental and if they did do a deluxe edition i would love an instrumental version of it now that you guys have suggested it just because it'd be great to hear the full flight of uh kind of power kiss alex we'll, we'll go back to you before you freeze out on us for hell or high water which is of course uh gene simmons and i think bruce yeah so uh gene and bruce get together on that what do you think of that song go ahead alex obviously not much oh me go ahead alex Alex. i thought it was milani (laughs) yes okay (laughs) um 
You know, I think it's like the uh, stepchild of Good Girl Gone Bad. I felt like it was kind of like a leftover piece, but uh, it's better than no, no, no. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> oh, quick and concise. Ken, hell or high water? <laughs> um, I like the song. It's a, it's a pretty, you know, it's a good song, good, catchy song. Um, I, nothing bad about it, except, like I said, the vocals for Gene on this album are, you know, they're all toned down and you know, I'd rather have him in his, you know, demon voice, I guess you could call it. Um, I know when I was also lo- looking back at that the book, um, Gene gave it two stars. This this album, he gives it two stars. Um, he doesn't like it because it's, he said, it's it's too poppy. And I think uh, Ron Neverson also said that Gene was worried about it not being in, not being enough crunch in the guitars and and so on on the album. Um, so yeah, I, I mean I, I like the song. I think it's a it's a well written song. It's a good song. It's catchy. You know I like it. It's not my favorite song on the album, but I, I like it. Okay. So I was told in one of my interviews for uh, the Danger Zone feature that I'm doing that Gene was cowering in the corner while this album was being mixed and uh, very unhappy by the sound. <laughs> by the vocals. I'm, I'm making yeah. it very clear. But Hell or High Water is one of my favorite Gene vocals from the Unmasked Era of where mm-hmm. he was actually singing in a voice that was not Cookie Monster, was not Gregor. not angry, unholy-esque. Um, it was you know almost that you're getting a 78 kind of uh, gene vocal phrasing singing which I, I what i think is a pretty darn good song so if i'm going to pick a a good gene song from the 1980s this will always be in my list and from the unmasked era of course mark hell or high water yeah surprisingly enough i don't really mind this song to be quite honest and i think that as i mentioned before this album kind of has a soft spot for me for certain reasons and i think that gene um I think Gene sings pretty good on this. I don't mind his voice on this record. And I don't actually mind many of the songs that he's done on this record, and for the exception of No, No, No. I think that the other songs that he's done on here are pretty decent, actually. It's surprising, considering how checked out everybody said he was at this point. You know, And I'm not that I don't believe that. It's just that, considering how checked out he was, he at least came back with some decent vocals, performance-wise, on on this album so uh, i think i think he did a good job i mean it his vocals fit the mood of the record and i think that's kind of important especially if you can look at it from a producer standpoint is that you want to make sure that the songs gel at least that way that there's moods that are kind of blending in with each other and that are you know supporting each other as a record goes through and i think that he did a good job with his songs that way so i, I don't mind i don't mind that song at all I don't know if I don't mind that song at all as a very high vote of confidence in it, but I think when it comes to describing <laughs> a lot of Gene, Gene songs in the 1980s, that's probably as good that, as it's going to get. So yeah, is that a, is that a raving review? So Lonnie, I don't mind it, Lonnie. Well, you know um, what I mean, Lonnie. Do you, can, do you not five mind out it? Of seven. Can you tolerate it? What do you think of it? I can tolerate it. It's it's okay. I don't hate it. Uh, <laughs> It's 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 actually kind of catchy. I um I kind of enjoy it. It's 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 a song that that you can hear. That you know I don't I don't go back and listen to Crazy Nights all the time. To be completely honest, but when you do listen to Crazy Nights or you listen to Hell or High Water, it's 
it's it's a song that maybe sticks with you, and yet you, you catch yourself singing it a couple hours later because it it is fun and it and it fits. You got to put yourself into a time capsule in the 1987 with these songs, and it was popular with what was coming out. If you listen to what other quote unquote, if you want to call it hard rock, if you even want to call it hard rock, but what rock bands were doing at the time. It, it fits into that genre, and, and, and catchy Bon Jovi-esque songs were what were the rage, and this and this fits right in. And and Gene did a good job of of fitting into that mold. Whether you know you said he was cowering the in the corner because he hated it, but it's a Gene Sim. It's a it's a really like a like a perfect Gene Simmons '80s-esque song because it's not hateful and that it's more poppy and more i'm gonna love you type of stuff and it, it's fun. it's a fun song i it's one of the, actually my more enjoyable songs on the album hmm. oh great my way and I'll, I'll hop in first on this one when it comes to paul's stratospheric vocals on this album this is the one where i really f- find that they work um and I love the anthemic nature of this song. It's so positive and like affirming. It's like a king of the mountain, only much, much, much higher. Um, you know, a, a great song again. And it's one of the few songs where all the instrumentation works for me. The, the synthesizers are very kind of prominent on it, but you, yeah. you still have enough guitar. You still have enough bass. Um, I think this might be one that has some sampling going on with the drums as well. But all around, it's it's a you know better than well it's better than bang bang you certainly so mark my way yeah i mean again i think this is another song that shows paul's vocal prowess on here um it's definitely definitely strong vocally um it's very interesting how uh, it was a Desmond Child Wright and that Bruce Turgan guy who I read that interview that you just did with him there. And it was interesting that he was working with a... Who was it again from Foreigner there, the guy uh, at that time? So it was, it's interesting maybe uh, where his headspace was at when he was... Lou Graham. Lou Graham, yeah. yeah. That that he was working, you know, maybe that's where his head was at too when they were, when they were working on him. Maybe little elements of that commerciality crept in to it but i think it's a good song i mean it's it's definitely not anything like bang bang you this song is, is miles better than it and um i i think it's catchy enough i think it's definitely suits the time again the keyboards would i have turned them down of course i think they would have turned down but it, like we said before we have to kind of put our heads in the space of what was going on at that time you know sure you know, the keyboards were a hot commodity back then. Every band back then had a keyboard player, if you really think about it. So, um, other than that, I think it's a it's a decent song. It's it's not my favorite Paul song on the record, but it's a it's a, one of the better ones. Ken, yeah, this song, this is the song that was stuck in my head today after after listening to it yesterday. I I just kept hearing it over and over. You know, Paul saying singing my way and. Uh, but it's good, and and I also hear what the synthesizers or keyboards, whatever you want to call, um, in there. Uh, like you know, you said, Julian, that they're kind of you know they're up there pretty, you know, forefront. Um, the synthesizer, you know, it reminds me of the synthesizers on, um, like on Rush S- Signals, I think. Just it has that same sound to me, 
uh, at least for this um, the song. Uh, but I think it's a yeah, it's a well done, well sung song. Even though it's you know up there high, you know, just reaching for it, it's it's one of the better Paul songs on the album. Alex, uh, I'm not I'm not I'm not gonna let Mark uh, take us off on a rush tangent. So uh, Alex, <laughs> hear you. Uh, I think that Paul song I've always enjoyed, um, and you can go to YouTube. The, the vocal isolation track, whether it's like a demo or whatnot, of uh, you just hear Paul doing the vocals. I think um, it really uh, showcases uh, his ability, though I'm sure probably now he might be regretting a little bit of doing some of that uh, at the time, but I think it really showed a lot of his talent and what he could do. Great, nice and concise. And it's, and it's, a, fun, it's a fun song. Lonnie? I like my way. It might be my favorite Paul song on the album. It's a great, it's a it's a good motivational song, get you fired up type song for for at the gym or running or something like that. Exactly, it's like Rocky esque, kind of like King of the Mountain. It's a, it's definitely on like my like my running or like workout playlist because it's it, it is something that'll that'll fire you up, um, and it and it speaks to you. So I I enjoy it. Uh, I can't say. I mean, there's no other. Maybe maybe Crazy Nights is on there too, as far as like a, a workout song. It's kind of a pumpy up type thing too. But as, as other than that, those are the only two songs that are that are really like that type of song to me. But I enjoy songs like that that get that get you fired up. And My Way is definitely one of them. And it's it yeah, it's Paul definitely showing off his again in the era type Crazy Night. This super high, super strained vocals, but it, it's good. I, I enjoy it thoroughly. All right. When you, you own the Rocky soundtrack, don't you? For correct. I, I've, you got you got a here. Let me tell you. Oh something. yeah. You got a when when you're running a marathon, you you <laughs> format your playlist so that you finish to the Rocky song. There you go. <laughs> uh, I have Top the, of the steps. Which one is that? Is that Eye of the Tiger or? No, I had a tiger. I usually put in the middle, but the theme from Rocky, like when he's running the original, up the steps, the exactly. Yeah, yes. getting stronger. Or there you go. Okay, usually when I'm running, I hear sirens. So um, <laughs> let's, let, let's move on to when your walls come down, which I think is a great line, a great concept in search of a good song, and it doesn't find it here. Um, and I, I know this is written by um, Bruce, Adam Mitchell, and, and Paul Stanley, but this for me is Paul's weakest song on the album by far. It's got a lot of like elements in terms of its music, some of the lyrics that just seem like they didn't quite stick to the wall when thrown. Um, and it's just something that maybe to me doesn't feel fully realized, but uh, it's it's like a it's like a best effort, best case effort for what they were trying to do. Um, Alex, when your walls come down. You know, uh, hey, diddle, diddle, when the cat wants to fiddle. Uh, I like it. That's one of my favorite ones. This one and I'll Fight Hell to Hold You are probably my, my two that I like off the album. I always liked uh, Bruce's little guitar part and the chorus part of this song. And I, I know there's like a not-so-great live version of this song that exists, as you can find and stuff, but I definitely always thought this was like just a fun one. Um and I kind of wish that the music style, definitely I can agree with the lyrics for a little bit uh, cheesy, but I thought like that the music direction that they had going was, was a good direction, and I wish some of the other tracks on the album had been more in that vein. Excellent. Ken? Yeah, this song, like you said, is, is not one of Paul's best songs. Um, it may be a tie, this one, and Bang Bang You for the maybe the weakest songs. 
um, on the album. Um, uh, uh, yeah, it, this is one that I will not hear the next day in my head. Um, that's <laughs> it's just, I hope you don't. It's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope, yeah, that would be bad. <laughs> but uh, it's it's. Oh, here, I'm hearing it now. Wait a minute. It's just it sounds generic, like uh, any other band would be doing that at this that you know time period. Nothing original really about it. Um, it's just yeah. I don't want to even listen to it again. So. <laughs> yep. Yeah, if I if I want enough. if I want to listen to dross like that, I'll put on Poison's got the cat dragged in. But at least, yeah. yeah. Mark. Yeah, I mean, I gotta echo pretty much everything you guys said. I mean, it's probably his weakest song on the record, and even with as good as how he sings on this record, stand out to me. It's. It's very, very generic. It's very much like they actually thought about making a poisonish kind of song, something that is along those tracks, you know. And it's it could have been left off easily off this record, I think. I think they could have did well of not even have put it on and replaced it with something better like Sword and Stone or something instead. Imagine, great point. Imagine that. So, uh, Lonnie, let's get your thoughts on that's, when your walls come a, down. Yeah, and then we'll take a, a quick segue into Sword and Stone. Better that's a great point, that. Mark, and I'm glad you brought that up because how a song like this makes the cut, and song and a song like Sword and Stone, and Hide Your Heart for that matter, don't make the cut on this record, is really mind-boggling. Because I put this song right in the same category that Bang Bang Yeah. I'm not really bringing anything new to the conversation other than, you know, I'm, I'm agreeing with everything you guys are saying that when your walls come down, it's just like Bang Bang Yeah. It seems very carbon copied of what every other band was doing at the time. There's nothing special about it. But, you know, Hide Your Heart and Sword and Stone are good songs, and, and this makes the cut. It's really, it really makes you scratch your head to to what they were thinking, what what Paul and what Ron Nevison were thinking at the time. That really the song song selection is, is just baffling. Yeah, and, and one thing that I get out of the interviews and, and doing some of the research for Danger Zone is, you know, January nineteen eighty seven in Billboard magazine, there's a, a news blurb that um, Sword and Stone has been given to Loverboy. Which of course they never do, they never record it. They do do an album that year, but they don't do it. And Paul Dean does eventually release his version on Hardcore in I think 1989, maybe 88, 89. So I can understand it being kind of promised to another act and then not doing it, just as it in Hide Your Heart was picked up by what just about every band in Hollywood. Everybody. Yeah, <laughs> Molly Hatchet. Molly Hatchet. Um, Ace. Ace. Bonnie Tyler, Bonnie, Bonnie Tyler, Tyler, um, yeah, and someone else. Uh, Robin Beck was it? Or am I misremembering? But whatever, whatever. You know, so back then when he was published, <laughs> doing his publishing tapes, I can understand how it, it might have been reserved 
And then Ron might have said, well, if it's a reserve for someone else, do we really want to do it? And at that time, you can see it being left off. I mean, Bruce would probably take issue with that and say, well, you know, if, he, if Ron didn't like it, that's just a good valid excuse, which, uh, you know, it, you can kind of see it from that point. But Sword and Stone, just like It's My Life, is the missed quintessential mm-hmm. 1980s kiss anthem that we never got. And we, we can't be revisionists to never say what it might have been. So... Um, who's who's next on when your walls come down? Or are we done with that? No, we're that's it. All right, so yeah. reason to live. Reason to live, which I adore mm-hmm. to this day. I thought Paul Stanley's ballads got stronger and stronger through the '80s, and he just hit it out of the park every time he sat down to write a power ballad. And this one with Desmond Child, number 33 in the UK, so a, a strong top 40 single there. 64 in the US, a flop. Great video. And, of course, he, as you can read and face the music, he mm-hmm. got to drive away with a Porsche because Gene was trying to make him happy. So, Lonnie, let's mm-hmm. get you on that. Um, it's pretty much a standard in the 80s. You had to have a strong power ballad. Um, all the bands were doing it, whether you're Motley Crue, whether, you know, whether you're Poison, um, you know, Cinderella. Your guns, Cinder, Cinderella. Everybody had everybody had to have the power ballad, and that, was, that became the formula when you release an album even that you had to have your main lead single and then your second single was your power ballad and then your third single was back to a to a rock track so so kiss again with crazy nights um was really following the formula of what was popular and unfortunately reason to live didn't have the takeoff power that i think it should have i think it's a it's a great it's a good song it's it's really a great song but you know, I, I I think too part of it was it was Kiss in '87, and there are other up and coming bands, mm-hmm. and Kiss even though they're still performing in 30 years later, I think a lot of people who maybe weren't around in the '70s, especially you know younger people, thought all oh, Kiss well they're old. As crazy as that sounds now, mm-hmm. but I think that was you know a lot of a lot of people's attitudes. Well, Kiss, how long have they been around already at this point? You know, listen to listen to some of these new bands, and I think that might have been a, a reason why a uh, reason to live didn't didn't shoot up the charts. As when you listen to it now, it sounds a whole lot better than than what was shooting up the charts for power ballads at the time. So, yep, it's, here, here just, I, it's here, just too bad. It's just it's just a shame. Here I go again. Jumps out as being very similar and obviously foreigner. Uh, there's always been the comparison. Alex, reason to live. I like it. One of my favorite songs off the album. It was on that bootleg tape that it had, and um, I even loved the live version that they did and on the '80s and stuff. I thought it was fun. Uh, you know, of course, you know, you see some of the videos, you see Bruce on the keyboards or whatnot. But I think uh, you know they they caught on to something. I mean, obviously, you had to co-write with Paul Stanley, Desmond Child. So uh, I think it was a good good power ballad. I wish it would have done a little bit more in the U.S. But Ken, yeah. This is a great song. I thought it should have been a huge hit, huge hit. But this is this is Kiss doing Heart. Um, but that's what it sounds like. It sounds just like one of Heart's songs, um, which again, also produced by Nevison. Um, but I mean, it sounds so close to it. Maybe that's maybe that's why it didn't because it was just too similar. I don't know. But uh, I thought it was just a well-written song and a great song. Uh, and I'm, again, I'm surprised it wasn't a hit um, here. 
So that doesn't make sense to me, but it's one of my favorite songs on the album. Mark. I agree with pretty much everything. Um, I think that this is one of the songs where the production got it right as far as how it sounds. Um, it definitely suited radio for the time, how it sounded. And I'm convinced, after reading several books about payola and stuff like that at the time, I, I'm pretty sure that the other bands that were topping the charts with their less good ballads at the time were and I, I just think that songs that were not as good got in better spots because of because of that and they should have been in a better position and they just simply weren't it's a great ballad I think it should have did a lot better but again I think there was a little bit of that whole you know pers- perspective like Ken said too where people looked at them and said kiss really they're still around you know, and people were more interested in hearing what the latest Poison or Cinderella ballad was than Kiss at that time. I can guarantee you that. So, you know, and but bands like Whitesnake also lucked out as well. But don't forget, they had a lot of that helping them out as well, because that record didn't start off so fantastic either. But then all of a sudden, boom, 12 million sales later, don't think there wasn't a little bit of a push monetarily going on for that record to to break. So maybe kiss management should have thought about that too so yeah i'm sure tony katane in the videos had nothing to do with white snake well success. of course of course too. <laughs> oh, but i'm talking God. about radio um so why don't you take us straight into good girl gone bad because i only have uh, uh, one sentence to say about that song um a great line in search of a good song and this is not a good song it's garbage um doesn't work on for me on any level mark yeah, it's it's my least favorite. Uh, well, not least favorite. No, no, no is my least favorite. But this is pretty close to being my also least favorite song that Gene does on the album. Um, again, I don't think it's a, it has anything to do with his singing. I think that he sings decently well, but it's just not a good song, like lyrically and musically. It's a bit weak. But again, I I think that overall. The singing done by both Paul and Gene on this record is pretty good. I was very, very impressed with that in retrospect. Ken. Yeah, I mean, uh, when I first heard this, I thought it was pretty good. Um, uh, now I don't like it as much as I used to. I guess um, it, it's a, it's good. Like Mark said, though, it's probably the, you know, my least favorite Gene song on the album of his songs um but you know it's okay i'm not you know i think it's great and i don't think it's horrible it's just kind of in the middle alex i like it my favorite gene song off the album the best one the only one there that survived go. the album in my opinion Very great good lonnie yeah it doesn't do it for me it's uh i i I think Julian hits it on the head where he says, I think Gene, Gene likes to come up with a good idea or a good title for a song, like Christine for 16, for example, but it, but it worked. Um, good Girl Gone Bad is the same type of thing. Gene came up with a cool title for a song, but failed to deliver when it came to the song itself. Lonnie, the uh, Christine 16 was Paul Stanley's idea okay well he's, he's uh, he was good at well, stealing ideas <laughs> well that is well that's definitely true <laughs> but you but you know what i mean gene, gene has gene and gene's done that and that's just the one that came up off the top of my head but gene's done that before though he comes up with a cool idea for a song yeah. or a cool name for a song 
And I think he got stuck in his head that how I'm going to write a song called Good Girl Gone Bad, and he ended up not writing a good song. So that's kind of my opinion on it. Like, and, and Gene probably, you know, Sam made, you know, sandwiched his way to make sure it got on the album just because he thought it was a cool title for a song and he wanted it on there. And probably the other stuff Gene was submitting was garbage at the time. That's a ringing endorsement for the vault box set. <laughs> you know, in, in terms of its titling, I mean, it's very similar to say "Any Way You Slice It" or "Secretly Cruel" and "Good Girl Combat." They're all kind of, you know, Bird, similar. Bird, yeah, log in your fireplace <laughs> and etc. etc. Turn on. Let's go to turn on the night. And in retrospect, if, I believe if they had left let off the album with "Turn on the Night," and that was the first song you heard. I would, in particular, have had a more positive reaction to the rest of the album, because to me, Turn On The Night is just pure pop perfection. It's a fantastic song, great tempo, great lyrics. Well, you know, there are some parts that are pretty lame looking back, you know, 30 years later, but love the song. Love it to this day. Love the video. Love everything about it. Uh, Lonnie, straight back to you. Very catchy. Um, Great song. It's another type of song. Another, you know, goes back to that era. Another type of song that when you listen to it, you'll catch yourself singing it the next day. It's it's fun. It's catchy. It's it's very 80s-esque. And Kiss did a great job of, of capturing that vibe and that feeling on the song. And I wish we would have heard more of it. Absolutely. But unfortunately, but unfortunately you know, the, we didn't get a whole lot after. So. Alex Shane. Uh, I like it a lot. Uh, I agree. I wish it should have been in the set list. Um, I think it was a great version of when Bruce did like a, a show and he found on YouTube where he did like Crazy Nights and they go and they turn on the night. Um, and I think like, oh man, like missed opportunity for if Kiss had done it live. Like that would have been a great one-two punch for the Crazy Nights tour. Um, you know, Crazy Nights and this song. So good song, music video. Uh, kind of funny with some of the animations, but it was the 80s, so... There you go, Ken. Yeah, um, I, I agree with you, Julian. That I mean, I was gonna say this should have been the lead-off single, um, in my opinion. Uh, and, and like you said, starting the album would have been perfectly fine. They could have put started uh, side two of the vinyl, for instance, uh, with "Crazy Nights." You know, done it that way. Um, two great like lead-offs for each side. Um, but uh, yeah, this is a great song. I thought, again, like I said, I thought this should have been the lead single over Crazy Nights, um, and it probably it may have well, you know, you've been a hit here, uh, actually becoming, you know, a hit. Um, I know it was already a hit in um, England, but uh, yeah, I think it would have made it. It was nearly a hit in England. Forty-one. I think it's the best song on the album, in my opinion. Mark. Yeah. Well, uh, this this is it. This is my favorite song off the record. The the song my go-to song. This is the song that I, whenever I think of this record, it's this song. It should have opened the record. You know, it should have been the first single. I agree with uh, Alex. The video is funny. But it's also good got to keep in mind the time again. Some of the special effects were a little, you know, on the on the hilarious side, but still I think overall it I think the song is well written and 
I just I just en- enjoy it. It's it's a great song, and I, I think Paul sings it term- like just fantastically well. I don't know what else to say other than that. Yeah, and I, I think logically, don't you have to turn on the night before you can have a crazy crazy night? Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. So, just there you go. There you go. Um, final song, and let's start with you, Lonnie. Thief in the night. Um. It's fine. It's 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 kind of ending the album. I think you're on a high with Turn On The Night, and then you kind of end with a clunker, in my opinion. I, you know, you guys said that Turn On The Night should have been maybe the first song on the record. It would have worked a whole lot better if you just swapped Thief In The Night and Turn On The Night to end the record. I think you would have ended the record on a high note as opposed to ending the ended the album just on a clunker and just kind of like a just kind of like a, a whiff and just a swing and a miss at the end so it's it's kind of a disappointing way for him to end the album when you know Kiss had been notorious for ending albums with great songs um, it's, it's a disappointment to me and it's it just kind of just kind of I don't know it just does, it doesn't do it for me it just kind of leaves leaves you with a bad taste in your mouth at the end of the album yeah Alex you know, with the, the modern technological advances with iTunes and so forth, I always... And you're a millennial. You're a millennial. <laughs> Listen to okay. the album. Okay, Gene. Okay, Gene. <laughs> but, um, you, you know, it's it's not a terrible song, but I, I do kind of always have agreed with the, um, you know, with ending on a high note. And for me, it just, like you said, it's like a clunker. It almost seems like, uh, like it would be like a Japanese bonus track or an outtake, you know? A song at the end, you're kind of like, where did this come from? But not as bad as No, No, No. So I'll give you that one, Gene. Yeah, at least if he's going to recycle or you know redo a song, he might as well redo one of his own. Mark. Yeah, I'm. I, I agree. That's it's not a it's not a terrible song, but it's definitely not a song you want to put after you know Turn On the Night. I mean, that's that was the big mistake. I, I definitely think that they should have been flopped around, flip flopped. And that would have definitely ended the record on a really, really good note, and you know, would have probably made you want to go flip the side back again and restart it and start listening again, you know. Yeah, but I think you, that makes you want to turn on something else. <laughs> <laughs> Just makes you want to throw yeah, it out exactly. the window. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. It's not. It's not the. It's not the strongest song Gene's done. But again, again, overall, I think I got to give props to Gene though that vocally he did a pretty good job on this record. Yeah, I would have put My Way On as the last song, just uh, kind of like an anthemic declaration at the end. And anyway, Paul did this album his way, and there you go. So mm-hmm. let's talk about some of the live songs quickly, because I, I know... Hey, I didn't do that song. You didn't? Oh, yeah, because you, you turned away from us. And... Yeah, there you I go. was turning away from you. Yeah. Thief, Thief in the Night, Ken. <laughs> well, uh, quick, quickly, yeah. Thief in the Night, uh, I like it's okay. I think it's okay. Um, it's, it's not a bad song. I do like the Wendy O. Williams version much better um, than the Gene Simmons version. So maybe it's just, just because it's heavier, you know. Um, but again, uh, I wouldn't have put it at last. Again, I would have put No, No, No last and possibly as an instrumental. So... All right, so go. so six songs from this album were performed live during the tour. I don't know if you've heard them all. Obviously, Crazy Crazy Nights, Bang Bang You, No No No, Hell or High Water, Reason to Live, and is that six? When Your Walls Come Down. 
and when your walls come down. Thank you. Um, favorites off those, pick two. Alex? When your walls come down, and I'll go with uh, Crazy Nights Live. I feel like the live room is better. Yep. Lonnie, two of those for your favorites? Oh, gosh. Crazy, crazy nights, and Hell or High Water. Okay, I get to say ditto, even though uh, Hell or High Water was just like a dead zone in concert. Um, I know, but I still like the song. Uh, I, I, still, I still like the song, and I like the, the performance. It was a, a shame it couldn't get a little bit more reaction out of the crowd. Mark? Well, for me, it's going to be Crazy Nights and No, No, No. I just love that live version of No, No, No. Ken? I won't forget you this time. Your mic is off. Hello. <laughs> so you didn't forget me, and I turned my mic off. <laughs> oh, figures. Anyway, um, I'm I'm gonna agree with uh, with Mark on that. Nice. Okay, videos. Videos were obviously shot for Crazy Crazy Nights, Reason to Live, and Turn on the Night. I, you know, out of all of those, I always loved seeing that first Crazy Nights video because that stage was just so damn impressive, even though I wasn't a big fan of the song. I thought it was fantastic. But once Turn on the Night came out and it had the great song with the great audience, with the performance video, um, I, you know, that was my favorite. So my favorite is Turn on the Night. Alex? Reason to Live. Because it has fire or Porsche? Uh, Porsche. Okay. <laughs> Ken. Mm, reason to live. Yeah. Mark? I like seeing Bruce play the keyboards. You do? Yeah. I gotta go with. I gotta go on with, with Turn On the Night. It's it's favorite song, and the video is still really catchy. Lonnie. I'm gonna go with Crazy Nights just because I like the, uh, the I like to echo what Julian said. I like the big stage, and I like seeing the band just just live in action. I'm going with that. All right. So the last question I had for everyone, and there's a lot of bootlegs that circulate from from the. I know I sent you one recently, Ken. I think from this tour. Um, do you got any of you have a go-to bootleg that you always go to? I've already told you, and at work or you know even in the car, I've got a copy of Tokyo the the Budokan video I can just listen to I can play that over and over and the other night I think I can't remember which night it is I think it's the 22nd also have just fantastic the performance is great even though Gary Corbett was not on that tour uh, to play keyboards um, it's my go-to for the tour as is Tilburg um, on the Monsters of Rock where you really you can watch that one and you actually get to see Gary on stage and really hear where the keyboards are kind of layering Paul's rhythm guitar so those are, are my two go-to's Mark do you have a favorite bootleg or way to listen yeah um, the, the funny thing is I was watching quite a few of them the other night and I was actually watching that Newcastle one which I thought was kind of interesting but the, my favorite mm. one that I that I always love watching and a lot of people are kind of surprised when I say this is I love watching that Monsters of Rock performance they did when they were out on that open stage or during the day performing I, I love that and it, you could tell they were like a middle band then because you even see Gene running there and pulling the monitors back you know readjusting them on stage because they were all over the place and it's it just just something about the vibe of that whole, whole show I really loved on that too and they had that back angle of Eric Carr when he was playing, you know, Tears Are Falling and stuff like that, and I, I really, I really loved that show. You know, I, I thought that it showed them kind of wanting to be back on top again. I thought. Yep. So that that I believe is Tilburg. 
um, the one that circulates, so you can see that on YouTube. Ken? Yeah, the uh, I go to the Japan one. Uh, always seem to go to that one. Um, because, I don't know, I mean, again, I saw them live. I saw them live in San Francisco, and it was the you know the, the worst show, Kiss show I've had ever seen. Um, and but the Japan was a lot better, uh, which is fortunate. Um, just but the actual, mm, it was just lackluster. Um, you know, I think Japan they play more a longer set too, I believe. They did. So with more classics yeah. in it as well. Strutter was back. Yeah, and that, that's probably part of the problem uh, with that show that I saw in San Francisco. Uh, so, but yeah, Japan is the one. Yep, Lottie. I'm gonna echo what Ken said. I was gonna say Japan also. Um, it's good quality. It's it's a good you know watch or listen, and there is the classics mixed in. And it just gives you a better feel than some of the other shows with a lot of the newer tracks in it. Yeah, so one of my opinions is, you know, if they were to ever do a deluxe edition, the full and cut Budokan would need to be in there. I would take that over Philly, the Spectrum show. Though, you know, maybe if they did a 2014 disc, you know, with the original remaster or the latest remaster, a 2017 Ron Neverson remix for disc two, disc three, yeah. all the demos. If we're not if we're not doing deluxe editions of Rock and Roll Over. Um, I don't think we have to worry about a deluxe edition of Crazy Nights in any time soon. Man, you just just stick, <laughs> a, just stick a fork <laughs> in my eye. I, I, am, I am really just a delight, but <laughs> just being honest. Yeah, well, I would want that on there, uncut, because it's got great camera work, and obviously several of us have uh, mentioned that being one of our standout videos. All right, before we wrap this up, I do want to just pimp out the Danger Zone website. It did go live today with the first interview. This is KissDangerZone.com. It's the 30th anniversary of Kiss's Crazy Nights album. Um, right now, interviews that are in the can, I may get one or two more done. Uh, they're... Uh, our requests out to a lot of people have been for the last few months and maybe they happen maybe it's something i have to go back after the fact like we did with odyssey and the Ace peter and paul book but uh bruce turgan went live today and um over the next few days i'll be sharing new interviews with uh chris lent phil ashley diane warren adam mitchell um gary corbett we'll be revisiting the interview of ron nevison and of course bruce kulik so that that is who I've got so far that is done. And, um, you know, there's still a couple out there that may happen. They may wait for a different forum. That's just how it goes. There's a lot of people who were invited. Some I invited and later found out that they passed away. But the Internet's forever, so mm. you don't necessarily know that when you, you find an email address. So come on over to KissDangerZone.com. I'm putting up a lot of multimedia to support these. The... Uh, the video today was uh, the time adjusted my way demo and of course uh, some other stuff will go up that will complement each of these so that's our uh, that's our I guess our show on um, crazy nights uh, I, I think give it another spin reevaluate it as it turns 30 give it a chance um, it's one that has sat for a lot of fans kind of in the nether regions of their storage units that they just don't go to very often if crazy nights can be performed in makeup by the current lineup and feel like a kiss classic to some of us you know you're fine to disagree with us but go give the whole album a spin and see where it sits for you in 2017 it was a, a grand idea to try and go a little bit more accessible pop friendly uh, a wider audience 
but like the elder like the solo albums and some of the other experiments in their career it didn't quite live up to expectations so from alex from lonnie from mark ken and myself we thank you for listening uh let us know what you think on any of the places that you listen to this let us know your favorite songs your least your favorite bootlegs and whatnot and we'll see you next time thank you Thanks for, for spending time listening to the kiss FAQ podcast today all sales are final there are no refunds if you'd like, look us up on Facebook or come over to the KISS FAQ message board and discuss the topic we've broadcast today. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes, Spreaker, or wherever you've listened to the show. We hope you'll join us again.